Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book that we love from the third chapter of James. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the whole world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of Gehenna. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues we bless the Lord, and with the same tongues we curse the very men and women who are made in the likeness of God. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this cannot go on. Does a spring pour forth both fresh water and brackish water? Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine yield figs? No one dips into a polluted mud hole and gets gets a cup of clear, cool water. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I was given the dubious, dubious task in here of trying to teach on the topic of money. And at that time, I shared with you that I believed that I was the last person who should teach on money, that I really wasn't qualified to do so, that it was not an area of my expertise or experience. This week, that is not the case. The topic we have just received from James is talking smack, shooting off your mouth, not being careful with your speech. This, my friends, is my field. Take notes because you are sitting before a world-class expert. There are people in this room who have directly suffered from the things I've said. People whose lives have been burned by the fire unleashed by my tongue. Once more, I can assure you that my days of smack talk and shooting my mouth off are not yet finished. I will do it again. This mouth, this tongue will do it again. I've been praying all week, and I ask for your prayers now that I can just keep it together long enough to get through this morning without making any mistakes with my mouth. But even if your prayers and the Holy Spirit get me through this morning, I know that at some point in the days ahead, I will lose control of this mouth again. I will say something I should not say. I will hurt someone I love or someone I'm called to serve or someone I don't even know with the words that come out of my mouth. I may even regret it. I may wish that I could take the words back as soon as they cross my lips, but maybe not. Maybe I'll really mean and believe what I'm saying. What I say could even be right, but that won't matter. This mouth will get loose and people will get hurt. James tells us as much. In verse 8, James says, no one can tame the tongue. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. I hear James telling me, I will kill again. I will not be able to tame the tongue because no one can. And that idea bothers me. And it doesn't just bother me because it's telling me I'm going to shoot my mouth off again. Something else bothers me about this phrase right here. Maybe it bothers you too. The words in this middle of the speech that James is giving in the third chapter of his letter, they don't seem to make much sense. Uh, 
they seem like a paradox, meaning it seems as though James makes an illogical conclusion, a contradictory statement. James says, no one can tame the tongue. Really? If no one can tame the tongue, then why are we even talking about this? If we all talk smack, if we all shoot our mouths off and hurt each other with our words, and no one can make it stop, then why the lesson? It's a small phrase. Just six words. No one can tame the tongue. If we're not careful in listening to James 3, we might even miss this illogical conclusion. It's just a few words in the middle of James' epic rant about the tongue. But I think they're important words. Without these paradoxical words, we would probably read the third chapter of James as establishing rules about how to speak and how not to speak. Without this strange statement, we might reduce James' teaching here to simple platitudes like, don't cuss, don't gossip, don't tell lies. Without this sentence, no one can tame the tongue. We might assume that James is providing a line in the sand that if we stand on the right side of the line, we're okay. But if we cross the line, we're sinners. But those paradoxical words are there. And there's no getting around them. I have a feeling that if James had access to a computer and some word processing software in the first century, these words would have been in bold or underlined. No one can tame the tongue. No one can rule follow their way out of this. No one can check enough boxes to make this stop. No one can effort their way onto the right side of the line. So what's the deal? No one can tame the tongue. What is James saying? If this isn't about following the rules or abstaining from the bad things or staying on the right side of the line then what in the name of God's creation is James talking about? I'm not sure, but I think James might be pointing us toward a number of things, but he also might be pointing us toward one thing. Among the number of things I think James is trying to teach are first, that a seemingly small and insignificant thing can have an enormous impact. At the beginning of the chapter of James 3, he offers a couple of illustrations to prove this point. An entire horse is controlled by the bit placed in its mouth. Where the horse goes, what direction, at what speed, when it moves and when it stops, all the muscle and power and energy a horse may possess are subject to the small piece of metal in its mouth. This is not to make the bit seem benign. If we're familiar with how a bit really works, it's really the discomfort and pain caused by the bit that allow us to manipulate a horse. James also mentions ships that harness the power of the wind, carry supplies, enable transportation, commerce, and exploration, and yet are controlled by a very small rudder that directs where the ship goes. And then, in verse 5, James says that a forest fire that consumes and destroys everything in its path begins with the smallest spark. We, says James, are full of energy and power and muscle and fire, and it is all subject to control and manipulation through our tongues. 
the seemingly small and insignificant thing, a bit, a rudder, a spark, our tongue, can have an enormous impact. Second, I hear James telling us that our words have power. Yes, they have the power to manipulate us, as we just said, to direct our path and steer us just like a bit or a rudder, but not just that kind of power. Just before James states that no one can tame the tongue, he reminds his audience of the creation. He invites his listeners and readers back into the garden. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. Now that taming that he's talking about, the taming of creatures begins in the garden when Adam names all the animals, when humanity chooses the words that will define creation. Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book that we love from the second chapter of Genesis. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Our words have power. The words Adam chose for the animals that passed before him helped to define them, to control them, to tame them. From the very beginning of our story, humanity receives an invitation from God to use our words to define creation. Adam, or Adam in Hebrew, is the Hebraic word for humankind. Human, humanity gets invited into the act of creation with God. James is pointing us back to the garden for a number of reasons, not the least of which is because the creation poems of Genesis remind us how God creates and how humanity defines that creation. Both of those things happen with words. God spoke. Our story begins because God speaks things into existence. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with seed in it. And it was so. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of every kind. And it was so. The word for word in Hebrew is devar. Everybody say devar. Just making sure we're awake. It's all right. One more time. Devar. All right. That word is used around 1,400 times in the Hebrew Bible. God speaks. God devars. And things happen. But as is the case with most biblical Hebrew, devar doesn't just mean one thing. The same devar that means word also means a sort of creative power. Devar is also a creative act that brings something new into existence. God speaks and the universe is created. This is the headspace into which James invites his listeners. Words have power. The great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel summed it up this way. Words create worlds. And we get that. 
We know that to be true. We have experienced it. We have felt words creating things in our lives. We have known words to have power over us and within us. We have all experienced moments when someone said exactly what we needed to hear. You knew there was more. You knew that you, what you'd been taught wasn't the last word. You had a sense that you were missing something. And then you heard someone say it. They named it. They called it out, described it, insisted it was possible, and gave it language. Whatever it was they said, it made your heart leap. Or maybe you were in a bad place. Maybe you were filled with despair and doubt, wondering if there was any way forward, and someone said something that changed everything. It inspired you, moved you, spurred you to action, and gave you hope that there was a way forward. Words can do that. Because words have power. I think the third thing James wants to communicate to his audience is that we're not fooling anybody. Springs don't pour forth both fresh water and brackish water. Fig trees don't produce olives. Grapevines don't yield figs. People who dip their cup into a polluted mud hole don't pull back a cup of clear, cool water. They pull back a cup of polluted mud. We're not fooling anybody. In the words of Jack Frost, the author of the book Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship, when we get bumped, everyone sees what we're full of because it's what spills out. Our brother and rabbi Yeshua said it this way. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. No matter how we may try to dress it up, the truth will out. Now, I got to admit to you, this idea seems a little strange and almost paradoxical to me because, in a sense, this idea from James says, yes, your words have power, but they also have limits. No matter how powerful your words may be to create worlds, to inspire, to direct bodies, steer ships, and spark fires, the one thing they cannot do is change what's inside of us. A tree is known by its fruit. Fig trees produce figs. What spills out of us is what we're full of. Even if we try to use our powerful words and our tongues to conceal, obscure, or even change, that which is inside of us cannot be denied. And herein lies the invitation to the one thing that I think James sees as underlying all of this. Identity. I think James is saying, remember who you are. Your tongue is a small thing that can have an enormous impact. Your words have power, the power to create worlds. But you're not fooling anybody. No matter how significant your tongue may be and how powerful your words are, they only reveal your identity. They only reveal who you believe you are. The reason my tongue can't be tamed is because it's not a free agent. It works for me. 
it reveals what's inside of me. It reveals who I believe I am. And James says, remember who you are. Right here in the words of verses 9 and 10. With our tongues, we bless the Lord. And with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women who are made in the likeness of God. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this cannot go on. James has also invited us back into the garden of creation to say, my brothers and sisters, this can't go on because we must remember who we really are. We are God bearers. We are daughters and sons. We are carriers of the divine. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. So God created human beings created them godlike, reflecting the divine nature, male and female. We know this. This is who we really are. This is God using words, devouring, to create us in the image of God. James is saying, if we can remember our identity as God-bearers, and we can remember that every other human being is a carrier of the divine, then what is coming out of our mouths can't go on. In the light of our true identity, the untamable tongue ceases to be a free agent that sparks destructive fires and instead pours out the love and power that created it in the first place. How can I remember the God within me and then look at the God within you and curse you? That's the paradox. I can't. If I'm cursing you, then I have forgotten who I am. I've forgotten who you are or both. James doesn't intend to offer us Rules about what words are okay to say. I don't see James as policing the line of appropriate speech and warning us not to cross it. This isn't James admonishing us like Thumper reporting to Bambi. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Those ideas are too small. This concept will never tame the tongue. James is inviting his audience, which now includes all of us, to remember. Remember that a small thing like the tongue can affect the whole body. Remember that words have power, the power to create worlds. Remember that we're not fooling anybody. Who we believe we are will come out through our mouth. The untamable tongue can only reveal what is inside. Remember that you are a beloved daughter of the Most High God. Remember that you are a son of the King. Remember that you are the delight of God's life and the joy of God's heart. And then remember, so is your neighbor. So is the person sitting next to you. So is your enemy. So is the person who stands for that which you oppose. 
So is the person online who repeatedly posts the most closed-minded, ill-informed, hateful words. I'm convinced that if James were alive today, he would have to amend his letter to point out that it's not just our tongues that are untamable. It's our keyboards, our texts, and our phones. None of them are free agents. They all work for who we believe we are. They all represent how we see the world. If we see ourselves as keepers of the rules or bearers of the right way, while seeing the world as full of those who would attack the rules or try to destroy the right way, then our tongues and our keyboards and our texts will reflect that reality, and we're not fooling anybody. If we remember, however, as James would have us remember, that God used words to create space for us to exist and invites us into that divine partnership of creation, then we have to ask ourselves a question. Do our words create space for others or do they close it down? We must remember the divine identity that belongs to all of human, humankind and claim it, even for those who have forgotten it, even for those who have never known it, especially for them. Abraham Joshua Heschel's daughter, Susanna, wrestling with the truth of her own father's statement that words create worlds, wrote these words. Words are themselves sacred. God's tool for creating the universe and our tools for bringing holiness or evil into the world. The Holocaust did not begin with the building of the crematoria. And Hitler did not come to power with tanks and guns. It all began with uttering evil words, with defamation, with language and propaganda. Some words, once having been uttered, gain eternity and can never be withdrawn. If she's right, and I think James would say that she is, and our words can gain eternity, then may our words reflect our true identity. Let our words be love, because that's where we began.